Appamata and its programs are supported by your generosity and your generosity and support makes such a difference. You can find a link for contributions on the website at appamata.org. Thank you. And welcome to everyone. Um, I'm so glad we can do this. Um, I, this is uh, always a big challenge getting the technology sorted out, but uh, but hopefully we're we're good now. And I, I do want to welcome everyone. I'm uh, I'm delighted to be meeting with you over this uh, seven week course, which uh, ends in um, November, uh, November 13th. Um, we'll be meeting from 10 to 11:30 uh, Central Time um, each week. Um, and um, as noted, the Zoom link should be in the calendar. So, um, so Kim, is there some problem if a lot of people sign on at the same time? There shouldn't be. Oh, that's odd. So anyway, um, we have a website, which is, um, uh, I sent the link for it, but it's, it's very simple. It's appamata.org slash foundations of Zen 13, all separated by hyphens. Uh, so same as the, there you can find the schedule. Um, the recordings, the handouts, resources, um, and um, any changes that might be made in the schedule will be reflected there. This is part of a foundation series, uh, Foundations of Zen series, uh, and it actually started that series, Foundations One, with principles of meditation, which is a basic was a basic introduction to uh, meditation. And I wanted to revisit uh, meditation practices with a focus on relationship and relating. So um, this is a little bit different. And the first part of the course focuses on relating to the self. Uh, the next part focuses on relating to the Dharma uh, and then relating to other people and then relating to the cosmos and the uh, sort of planetary connection. So the format generally will be um, that I'll introduce these practices, give a little bit of uh, instruction and, and you'll have handouts for that. Then we'll practice for a little bit uh, and then we'll discuss sort of what we, uh, what came up when we practiced one of these forms. And, and your homework will basically be to keep practicing in that form for the next week um, and to make some notes about what you notice about that form of practice for you. Um, and then to deepen, if you want to deepen in that form of practice, go to the resources on the resources page or work with a teacher, attend an intensive and use those practices as part of your intensive practice. So, uh, so that's uh, sort of the format and the background, a little bit of uh, background about me if you don't know me and uh, don't have any idea why I should be teaching this class. I started practicing Zen in 1966 as a result of a comparative religion course. Uh, in 1990, I met Joko and I started practicing quite seriously. Uh, 2001, when 9-11 happened, um, I became uh, much more committed to practice and, uh, and the priest path. So in 2004, I was ordained and I, went, uh, I did a year in residence and, uh, and half a year in monastery in Oregon. Then in 2014, I had Dharma transmission with Kosha McCall and the Suzuki Roshi lineage. Um, so as far as the Sangha is concerned, uh, it really started in 1995 as a small sitting group called Live Oak Meditation, Zen Meditation. Um, in 2005, they, we, we moved to uh, our present location at 913 East 38th Street in Austin. 
and we changed our name to Ordinary Mind. And then in 2009, the name was changed to Appamata. So, um, so this is uh, you know sort of a blitz background of uh, of what we're doing and uh, and why uh, I might be qualified to do it. So, um, so I'm thinking about uh, these forms of meditation and what you know what it means. Since I often get this question, what does it mean to engage in meditation practice? How is it different from just walking in the woods or you know paying attention when you're washing the dishes or reflecting quietly on something with a cup of tea and writing in your journal or being in the flow of a project? So I think what distinguishes meditation practice is first of all, the form. There's a method of practice. You're following the breath or you're having open awareness practice, but you have a form that that meditation takes. Um, it may be a physical form of sitting upright in a certain position, uh, but there, there's a form to it. Um, there's an intention to it. The intention is to bring the awareness into this present moment and the um, methods that we use are a means to that end. And there's a quality of attending attention. Uh, so we're bringing our attention to our practice. And when we get distracted or have ideas or whatever, we, we return. So this is the discipline of returning is another part of uh, a skillful meditation practice is the discipline is recalling what you want. And what you want is to return to the method, just to return to the method. Um, and then there's the quality of relating to the form. So we can see the ways that we disrupt the form, that we fantasize or we get distracted or we feel a pain in our knee. So, um, so these are all sort of hindrances in relating to the form of meditation that we're practicing at the moment. Um, there's also a big difference between reading about different meditation methods and practicing them and particularly practicing them in a sustained and consistent way. Um, and there's also a difference between reading about different meditation methods and even practicing versus working with a teacher who can tailor practices to your particular needs um, and so that you end up wasting less time. Um, so in this course, we're thinking about meditation as relational. It's about meditation as a path to relating with oneself, with these teachings, the Dharma, relating with others and relating to the whole cosmos those who've been meditating for a while begin to see a shift in all their relationships. That shift should be moving relationships towards greater connection, openness, honesty, integrity, wisdom, compassion, and care. So fundamentally, there are three basic types of meditation as I see it. Um, concentration practices, which focus on an object or uh, process um, and um, metta practices, which are um, uh, loving kindness practices, and then awareness practices, which are just open spacious awareness. So there isn't a structure to the meditation in the same way. So in this first class, we focus on embodied practice, which is about relating with the self. So Dogen said to study the Buddha way is to study the self. Um, so we begin with this simplest form of meditation, the form taught and practiced by the Buddha himself. We become intimate with our own breath. As we breathe in and breathe out, simply paying attention to the breath, we encounter many of our ideas about ourself, our conditioning, and our notions of who we are. 
we notice how difficult it is simply to observe something in ourselves without trying to control it. Maybe you've had this um, uh, experience in practicing with awareness of the breath that we end up sort of struggling to make the breath a certain way, deeper, more regular or whatever. Um, it's very hard to observe something without trying to control it. And we experience our own flavor of resistance, distractions, sense desires, restlessness, worry, fantasy, dialogue, story, sleepiness, ill will, regret, and doubt. So we begin to recognize, oh, how much of our own lives are we fending off this way? How much of a barrier are we putting ourselves between our present moment experience um, and, and this, uh, this very life we're living? So we return to the simplicity of breathing in and out, the little gap between the in-breath and the out-breath. We locate where in our body the sensations of breathing can be felt. So maybe in this time of COVID, we can appreciate just the fact that we're breathing easily, not struggling for air in some hospital bed. <clears throat> breathing in, breathing out with full awareness. Is there a catch in the in-breath? Is our breathing quick and shallow or deep and long? And can we notice how we tend to want it to be a certain way? Can we feel it in our belly, in our diaphragm lifting and dropping, in the lower lungs, in the upper lungs, in the back of the throat, in the nasal passages, at the tip of our nose? Can we feel it in our back? <clears throat> and then what do we hear? The little rush of air into the nose, the settling sound of the exhale. Breath is exquisite and precious, the gift of life. When it ends, we are ended. <clears throat> One day you'll breathe out and you won't breathe back in again. And someone will say, it's over. So we don't know when that day will come. <clears throat> Larry Rosenberg writes in Breath by Breath, One word that I personally have come to associate with mindful living is intimacy. The great 13th century Japanese teacher, Dogen, was once asked, what is the awakened mind? And he answered, the mind that is intimate with all things. Rosenberg continues, the subject of intimacy often comes up in terms of relationships, of course, and has become a contemporary obsession. People are sometimes desperate to experience intimacy, but it is extremely difficult to be intimate with someone else until you've been intimate with yourself. And the same kind of thought processes interfere with relationships that interfere with everything else in our lives. We build up images of ourselves and of the other. And in a typical interaction, the real people don't meet at all. So the original instruction of the Buddha uh, in mindfulness of breathing is in the Satipatthana Sutta and the Anapanasati Sutta his direct instructions for meditation. He says here, gone to the forest or to the root of a tree or to an empty hut. He sits down, having folded his legs crosswise, sets his body erect and established mindfulness in front of him. Mindfulness, mindful, he breathes in, mindful, he breathes out. Breathing in long, he knows I breathe in long. Breathing in short, he knows I breathe in short. Breathing out short, he knows I breathe out short. 
He trains thus. I shall breathe in, experiencing the whole body. He trains thus. I shall breathe out, experiencing the whole body. He trains thus. I shall breathe in, calming the bodily formation. He trains thus. I shall breathe out, calming the bodily formation. <clears throat> the instructions for mindfulness of breathing include the appropriate external environment. That is, you need, an, at least when you're establishing a practice, a quiet space for that. And the suitable physical posture is upright. So all of this is very important in the early stages of practice. This term mindfulness, um, which is a common translation for sati, um, as in Satipatthana Sutta or Anapanasati Sutta. A mindfulness means bright, lucid awareness. It also means recall, remembering. We remember and bring clear awareness to our practice, whatever method or form we're using. The breath is the direct path to awakening in the Buddha's teaching. You actually do not need any other practice. However, you may feel that staying with this simple practice becomes rather tedious. That was the situation for a Zen student who complained to his teacher that he found following the breath boring <clears throat> and asked to be given a different practice. Leaping up, the teacher grabbed him by the hair and dragged him out of the temple and down to a nearby river where he plunged him into the water and held him under while the student flailed and struggled for air. Hoisting his head just above the surface, the teacher shouted, how boring is the breath now? So our perspective changes uh, depending on how much ease we find in our practice, um, how much we struggle in our practice. So <clears throat> we're going to um, be introduced to a number of practices that focus on the breath and breathing. Um, but first, we'll have a little opportunity to practice. So <clears throat> what you want to be able to do is sit upright. Uh, hopefully you have a reasonably quiet environment, not too many distractions. And just become mindful, just mindful. You're just here, sitting here, we're together. <clears throat> Take a deep, deep breath, inhaling and knowing I breathe in long. As you exhale, be aware, I breathe out long. And at your own pace, take three more deep breaths like this, knowing you breathe in long and you breathe out long. Your eyes can be open or closed. Now take a normal breath, knowing I breathe in short, I breathe out short. Two more breaths, I breathe in short, I breathe out short. 
The training begins really as you inhale. I shall breathe in, experiencing the whole body. And as you exhale, breathing out, experiencing the whole body. Repeat two more times. I shall breathe in, experiencing the whole body. I shall breathe out, experiencing the whole body. The training continues. Inhaling, I shall breathe in, calming the bodily formation, and exhaling. I shall breathe out, calming the bodily formation. So maybe a couple people can share what they might have noticed in this process. And um, if you look down in the bottom right part of your screen, you'll see something, a little icon that says reactions. And if you click on that, you can raise your hand and um, share a little bit of what you noticed. Yeah, Lori. Let's unmute you here. There we go. Thank you. I just love this practice. It's um, very calming, and I do become very focused. And um, this scattering of the mind is gone. And uh, yeah, I guess that pretty much sums it up. It's very, uh, it's very nice. Mm -hmm. Very nice practice. I do it a lot. <laughs> yeah, it's very settling. So, Lauren? I notice a distinct sense of, um, of coming home. Mm. I also found myself really um, appreciating the spaces between the breaths as a sort of resting place. Yeah, yeah, a little place of ease. Yeah, thank you. Joel. Um, before we started the actual practice, um, you were saying that you can, in sitting, you can see what the hindrances are, that arise are and so on. And I was thinking just about my experience that it, that for me, that I have shifted from wanting to find ease in sitting and 
and feeling like, oh, this is working pretty well, you know, or just a, even on un, spoken feeling like that to go ahead and dealing with what I actually am dealing with, which is all the things that are arising to interrupt that. And I, I love the way that you explained that. But then you started the exercise and I thought, and, and I had the same reaction that Laurie said, this is, this is going somewhere in me that, that I, I, that I have trouble leading myself to in my own, just sitting with myself, hearing your voice and the quality of your voice and being able to sit with other people makes this, um, really deepens the experience for me in a way that when I'm on my own tends to get sidetracked by other stuff. Yeah, yeah. This is um, how we um, support each other and how we can feel a big difference, I think. Mm -hmm. It's huge for me to start sitting with a sangha. It's huge. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, but again, uh, the, it is important to me right now, at least, that I'm hearing your voice and that we and that you, this is that you're guiding this. And it's 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 not my own concentration that's guiding it. It's not my own uh, desire to move through these things. You're, you know, I'm very gently being invited in. And that's different for me. Oh. I, I don't know what difference that would make for anybody else, but I just wanted to note that. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, it's it's important. Uh, these experiences reveal something about our connection, right? Yeah. yeah. We have many, many years of connecting in this way. <laughs> All right, Anne. Hi. Um, I was also dropping into a, a calmer space and um, appreciated the different lengths of breath in that. And then I started noticing my, uh, I, and as I dropped more into more body awareness, I noticed my heart was kind of racing. Mm. And I don't know why or was it racing before I brought my attention into my body or did it start? I don't know. But that was one thing that for me arose was just that greater awareness of exactly what was happening. Yeah, we become um, subtle in our body. We begin to notice our reactivity and all of the things that stir in us. Yeah, that's great. Thank you. Claudine, let me unmute you. There you go. Yes, I noticed that when taking the breath in, it's always a bit difficult for me. But when I breathe out, I take a sort of, of density. And my body is, is more dense. <laughs> That's what I, I feel very much. And I had a question. When you say, I know I am breathing, I am sure it's different from I think I am breathing or I say I am breathing. That's right. And could you say, I would like to be, to know more about this, I know I am breathing, if possible. Um, well, <clears throat> I think there's a big difference between saying, I think I love you, and saying, I think I love you, and that embodied experience, right? So 
uh, that, that knowing is not a knowing that's conceptual. It's that uh, felt sense. Um, mm. and, and there was a, an occasion when the Buddha came upon his disciples, they were talking about his miraculous birth and all this, um, you know, that, uh, that he st supposedly stood up and walked seven steps immediately after being born and said, you know, I'm the master of the universe. And so he's, he's uh, interrupting this, you know, uh, discussion of his miraculous beginnings. And he says, well, you know, what's even more miraculous than that? When standing, I know that I'm standing. When walking, I know that I'm walking. When sitting, I know that I'm sitting, right? So it's that way of knowing, like I'm fully present to that. Uh, Not having ideas about it, I, I'm fully present to it in, in an embodied way. Yes. Knowing, it's a deeper knowing, right? Mm. I, I, it's what I thought, but I, I had not the words to, to describe it. Thank you. You're welcome. Thanks for coming up. Jason. Oh, hi, I, thank you so much. I, it's so powerful. We, I felt uh, so grounded so quickly and I, I love, I love this process. So just appreciate it. Thank you. Mm -hmm. I'm glad you're with us, Jason. Yeah, good to see you. <laughs> okay, Maria. I, yeah, I, I was just noticing um, the difference between the quality of the breath when I was just doing an ordinary breath and the quality of the breath when doing it with intention and how we cut off the breath very quickly when we're just breathing normally, as we'd call it. And then thinking about how that, that um, interferes with intention and when we breathe with intention and, and just breathe normally, how much when we're breathing normally the quality of our intention and attention to our environment changes. And then as soon as we start breathing deeply, attention comes very much more sharpened to whatever's around us. That they're so connected, the breath and what we pay attention to. And that's what was really resounding when you did those exercises, just then that short breath, just cutting off the normal yeah. breath. And Yeah. Yeah. So, <clears throat> so thank you. That's, that's a good observation. And it's very important when you're doing any practice to observe what's actually going on um, rather than our opinions or judgments about what's going on, what's actually happening. Um, I'm becoming more agitated or I'm becoming calmer or I'm becoming more centered in my body or I'm more aware of my environment. So to notice those things, since it can be helpful to make uh, a few notes when you first get up from meditation a uh, little bit about the experience, you know, what you were practicing and what the experience was. And if you work with a teacher, it's especially helpful because then you can report what you're discovering. And, uh, and that's, that's useful. Yeah, thank you, Maria. Thank you. So Kim. Uh, so uh, this has been kind of a lifetime thing that when I take a deep breath, I'm aware that it's hard for me to take a deep breath ah. and, you know, that I want to cough. And so um, I guess that can become my practice is just being okay with being aware that that's yeah. kind of like the story you told about being, uh, being pushed under the water. That's how it feels to me. So 
yeah. in a way it's a gift maybe that I'm more aware of about how that is. And there's times when I could really do that, take, <laughs> take a deep breath and it's okay. Mm-hmm. And, and so, uh, so I can think of that as a gift that when I can do that or, or being aware. It's, Absolutely. And but, you, um, and you can notice the little edge. So there's a little bit of accompanying anxiety, right? Yeah. 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 And people who have various struggles with breathing for whatever reasons they have emphysema or something like that, they're often, they often have a lot of anxiety or if they had asthma as a child, they often have anxiety around just the act of breathing. Yeah. Yeah. So it's all really um, very helpful reflections. And these are the kinds of things you want to notice when you're practicing with that kind of attention and intention. So, but I want to give you some other breathing practices that are also helpful uh, just in the sort of um, arena of breathing. Um, And the first one is the one that um, Joko taught me when I was working with her, um, which is uh, counting the breaths. And she said, You know, it's commonplace for people to teach counting the breath as you count on the exhale to 10, right? So each time you exhale, the count should last the whole length of the exhale. All the way down, right? Um, But she said Americans can't really count to 10 in breath meditation without losing their place. So she taught counting to two in and out one, in and out two. And she said, most people can manage this. Uh, if you get lost, go back to one. Um, so I thought this was pretty comical when she told it to me, but I actually found this to be quite true. And most of us are easily distracted. I mean, so somewhere around six or seven, we lose count and we start back at one or we think, was I at seven? Should I do eight? Should I do, should I go back to six? You know, so we end up fussing about our, counting the breaths, but it can be helpful and steadying um, to count the exhale. And I like the counting to two. I said to Joko, it's genius. It's the one and the many, right? One, two, one, two, not two, not one, not two, not one. That's our practice, right? So that's a, uh, that you should never um, in breathing practice struggle or strain. Um, It's too big a fight. Um, So, but you can be curious about why is that? So that's um, counting the breath, but also there's square breathing, which um, is a form of yogic breathing, which I found very beneficial. Um, I actually believe that I had COVID when back way back a year ago, December, January, um, and I was coughing so hard I couldn't breathe. And I went into this cycle of gasping and coughing, gasping and coughing. And the only thing that helped me was square breathing. And in square breathing, you breathe in for a set number of beats, heart, usually heartbeats, because you, you can tune into those, but you can just count if you want to. Uh, four, you start with four, breathe in four beats, hold four beats, breathe out four beats, hold four beats. So that's the basic square breathing practice. Um, you can expand it by um, Breathing in four beats, out four beats, you know, hold four beats, out four beats, hold four beats uh, for a couple of breaths, and then 
breathe in six beats, hold six beats, breathe out six beats, hold six beats. Then breathe in eight beats, do that a couple of breaths, breathe in eight beats, breathe out eight beats, uh, or hold eight beats, breathe out eight beats, hold eight beats. Then you go back down, breathe in six beats, hold six beats, out six beats, uh, in six beats, back down to four. So, um, so this is a very uh, simplified uh, grounding practice, but it is a specific for anxiety um, or distress when you're facing a big challenge. Um, uh, I think this is um, one of the things that, uh, that I, I know I've seen some comments on this practice where people have said, I wish anyone would have given me this practice when I was being medicated for anxiety because it is a specific for that and it works better than the medication with no side effects. So, uh, so that's what you want to um, uh, always understand this as a practice in great, gaining greater ease and greater centeredness. Um, so that's, that's one, uh, one method. Um, it's actually a good thing to practice in traffic, um, the square breathing. So pretty easy to remember also. Um, then there is a method of focused breathing where you focus on sensations in the body, where the breath is coming into the nostrils as it leaves, what's, you know, it's, it's cool when it comes in, it's warm when it comes out, or, uh, or the sensations of the movement of the belly um, in and out. Um, whatever those physical sensations are that you can tune into, uh, as the breath is coming into the body and, and, uh, and going through the body. So then um, you can uh, settle into that practice where you're just noticing that you'll get distracted, you'll start thinking about your to-do list or a conversation you had with someone. You just gently return, you just return. The practice isn't really about struggling to maintain a certain method, but about our willingness to return to it. It's just this willingness. Um, so as Sherry Huber says, the key and the, and the name of the key is willingness um, in all practice. So, um, uh, so you'll see these practices listed in the handout for this, this week's class. Uh, so you don't have to worry about remembering all of these. Uh, I'm just trying to give you an overview of some, some of the most common practices that involve the breathing. There's some very sophisticated yogic practices involving the breathing, but I don't think that's necessary um, for our basic Zen practice. But this can be very settling even at the beginning of a meditation period, uh, or just so that you come into this present moment, or they can be very um, also very useful for a whole sitting period at the beginning of an intensive, for example, which sort of gives you an, sort of, uh, uh, an on-ramp into the intensive, just settling you and grounding you. Um, so, um, okay, are basically the fundamental principles are to bring this mindful, lucid, open awareness to whatever practice you're doing. This is the fundamental principle of meditation. Um, and the methods are kind of the guardrails. They can kind of uh, help us stay on track. Um, and, uh, and it's really just about the lapse and return, the lapse and return. In this calm abiding, like, okay, 
you know, my mind's going to throw up ideas or my, um, my emotions are going to arise or my physical sensations are going to consume me with my knee pain or back pain or whatever. Um, and to be calmly abiding in the midst of that is extremely important in our practice. So that's why we just keep returning. So moving from the breath to the body, um, there are numerous um, body-centered practices. Um, let's see if I, um, oh, um, I forgot to mention the relational um, practice in breathing. And that is when you are with someone and you're synchronizing your breathing with their breathing. This is very useful when someone is going through something um, that's difficult for them and their, their breath is really fast and shallow, you know, um, and you match that and then you gradually slow and deepen the breathing so that the, you're, uh, you're in a kind of a dance where you're helping them re-regulate. We have that function for each other where we can help regulate each other's um, emotion states. That's the limbic resonance that we have. So the capacity to breathe in relation and in harmony with the other person can help settle them, can help settle you. And if there's some difficulty between you, then there's an opportunity to um, uh, um, coordinate and create a, more, a little bit more harmonious um, state. So I see we have a couple of hands up, but I don't know whether they're new hands or old hands. New hands? Yeah, Anne? Hi, um, you were mentioning about how um, part of the practices in gaining ease and lower, well, that was actually just a bit more in general, just to um, relax and return to the breath, et cetera. But for the person who is experiencing a lot of discomfort because of maybe a breathing issue, something like that, and, and in fact, they're maybe having the opposite reaction of feeling um, heightened anxiety because that focus on the breath. What would you recommend? Well, it's, I, I think you have to be skillful. And one of the reasons I wanted to teach this course is to give people a toolbox of skillful means. So I basically, I wanted people to understand under what circumstances would you not want to do this? If it brings additional anxiety, um, you know, an experienced um, practitioner will say, let's get curious about this anxiety, what's making us anxious. But uh, for someone who is relatively new in practice, um, they, should, uh, they should say, okay, I, I have to set this aside for now and do a different kind of practice, a body scan. It should be an embodied practice um, because what we want to do is return awareness to the, to the body and, and, um, and become grounded and centered and settled again. So, uh, so that's my, my sense of it. Don't strain and struggle in any of these practices. If you, if you encounter difficulties, by all means, talk to a teacher about it. Say, I've been practicing mindfulness of breathing, but I find I get really stressed and anxious about it. I had to set it aside in the beginning of um, my meditation practice because I was just wrestling with my breath, trying to control it, trying to make it more regular, trying to make it more, and I got to, it's got more and more, it was more and more of a fight, you know? So, um, so Joko said, just set it aside for now. It's nothing mandatory about it, you know? Um, it's not intended to be punitive, um, but it is uh, a source of information about the way we typically operate, right? And how, and how we feel like it may be that we're resisting someone else telling us what to do, 
it may be, you know, including ourselves, <laughs> right? So, um, so the idea is not to punish yourself. The idea is to recognize, oh, this is not a good time for this. Um, I need to do walking meditation or I need to do another body-centered practice. That makes sense. Yeah. Joel, did you have something, a question or? Uh, well, yes, I just, I wanted to, to say that I, I'm just connecting I'm finding an answer to the question that I raised before, or to the point I was trying to make before about like taking greater ease in a guided meditation with you leading it. And, and I think it comes from this uh, finding synchronization, uh -huh. you know, and, and finding that I could you know, relax my effortfulness into the synchronization that you were offering. Uh -huh. and, uh, and, and, you know, and re re relationality is 99% of that, you know? Yeah, it's true. Yeah. It's true. And, it, and it's why, you know, um, you'll notice in an intensive, um, you, your breathing settles and you're less agitated as the days go by. And pretty soon the whole, you can sense the whole room is more or less one breath in breath, one out breath. Um, even though people may be breathing at different rates, there's just this sense of an organism breathing. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's what's really lovely about intensives, I think. Mm -hmm. Yeah, thanks. And then I, I have one other thing uh -huh. about re re relationality, and I, I, maybe you're going to address this, but, but I remember reading in Buddha's Brain uh, by Hansen and the other man, the other great scientist whose name I can never remember. Uh -huh. uh, uh, that just sitting and paying attention to your breath, uh, even though it seems to have nothing to do with compassion or relationality or anything, is in fact stimulating parts of your brain that are right adjacent to the homes of compassion and relationality and, and gradually enliven those parts of your mind so that you, you are engaging that kind of unknowingly simply by paying attention to your breath and your body. No, I, I've always loved that. I, that, that that's, you know, this, it, it explained a lot for me when I read that. Oh, yeah. I think one of the things that's documented is the leftward shift, the so-called leftward shift, where activity of the brain shifts from the right side where um, anxiety and anger and um, depression live to the mm. left side where joy and wonder and creativity live. So, um, so, but it's just activity levels. It doesn't necessarily mean anything like you're gonna get more creative or whatever, but it's documented and people tend to become more content and more at ease in more situations, the more they meditate. Mm -hmm. And so I think it's partly that um, uh, sh sort of that shift that's facilitated in sitting. Yeah, oh, Lauren curious um with regard to the relational breathing say if we were you know with someone who was experiencing a high degree of anxiety and we wanted to breathe with them um would the practice be to say that you were going to do that or would it also be helpful to just do it that's and, fine and i wouldn't say anything about it because you, know, you may freak people out you know um right. but so, uh but that's a um uh, a well-known technique that's talked about in the worst is over about 
how to be a benefit to people who are yeah. you know, um, uh, in crisis or trauma or whatever. They match their breathing and then you gradually slow down um, and it has a calming effect on them. Um, so, and you'll naturally find yourself falling into synchronized breathing with people you feel warmly connected with. Yeah. Um, that'll happen almost naturally. Thank you. Yeah, but you can practice it intentionally. If you have a willing partner, you know, you say, let's see what we discover when we, you know, synchronize our breathing. Um, let's see what, what comes up, right? Yeah. You notice, because uh, it's nice to have that too, you know, as uh, someone who's a, uh, a willing partner. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, great. Ellen. Um, yeah, I just wanted to comment that nurses actually use this, the last, uh, the synchronized breathing. When somebody's having trouble breathing, we just say, okay, I'm going to breathe. We're going to breathe together now. I'm going to breathe with you. That's and, so great. Yeah. Yeah. And it helps people to take fuller breaths instead of these fast yeah. short breaths. Yeah. 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 Because you can walk along with them. You're sort of supporting them in this. Yeah. Uh, there is a, something about being connected with somebody too, you know? Yeah. Yeah. We're going yeah. to breathe together now. You know? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. There's a, there's a couple of things you can always say um, that, that have, do have that calm, that uh, calming effect on the limbic system. Uh, one of which is I'm here. Yeah. 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 That's essentially what it, it was about. Yeah. Yeah. Or as I said to Flint, say anything with the word we in it. We. Mm. Good point. We're going to breathe together now. Mm -hmm. It's like there's a joining in it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. Great. Thanks, Ellen. So, Jay? Uh, yeah. Um, I actually use it with my kids. Uh -huh. um, I do youth ministry and like when somebody's in a panic, I'm like, okay, I hear you. I hear you. Okay. Let's take a deep breath. Hold it. Yeah. Let it go. And you know, especially when they do that deep breath, you see the shoulders go up Yeah. <laughs> and then that release, <laughs> you see them calm down regardless of what's going on, you know, the frantic, the crying, everything just with that. The, and you see their whole shoulder, everything tightens up, and then it's that release, and they start coming down, you know? So yeah. it's so primal. It's really primal and wonderful that um, the work you're doing with those kids, I mean, for them to have a tool like that that they can then use when they're feeling unraveled, it's wonderful. Yeah. Okay. Well, I can see we're going to be. A little stressed for time for the other parts of this, um, but that's perfectly fine because I think it's important to share these experiences um, because there's such a range of them in, in doing this. I want to move to the body. Um, so um, moving out from the breath to mindfulness of the body and the various possibilities um, that you can use in uh, at the start of a meditation period or at the first period of a meditation retreat or um, or even as a full practice. The first one of which was, um, has been widely taught uh, in mindfulness-based stress reduction by John Kabat-Zinn 
which is the body scan. And it's where you start at the top of the head and you just bring awareness. You're just gonna move down, um, bringing awareness to each part of the body. And I would do this quite slowly because you'll discover there are many small muscles around the eye, for example. Um, we're not trying to fix them or make them relaxed. This is not necessarily a relaxation technique, although it tends to make people relaxed. It's noting and observing where there are signs of tension or contraction. Just noticing that, we're just observing that in this body scan. Um, uh, we're just noticing, oh, carrying a little tension around the eyes or around the mouth. My jaw is clenched, you know. You're not trying to unclench it, you're just noticing. You're just bringing awareness. Where is the body holding something, holding some tension or whatever? We're just noticing that. Because if we can just notice that, over a period of time, we'll notice which parts of it are habitual. And that is very, very useful. So this just, we're just bringing the scan. It's just like a CT scan, maybe, you know, just scanning the body inside and out. And we're noting what we notice as we do that. Down one arm, down the other arm, down the front of the body, down the back of the body, um, the hips and groin area, the thighs, one thigh, calf, shin, ankle, feet, soles of the feet, the toes. You're just scanning, noticing what you notice. Um, and then um, there's another form of this practice, which is a spotlight scan. We use this in the monastery. Um, occasionally, it was very interesting to do. And that's where you have like a, um, a spotlight the size of a quarter. And you focus on one part of your body. Maybe it's an earlobe. Maybe it's a, you know, a chin. Uh, maybe it's a left elbow. Um, a quarter size. What are the sensations in that little spotlight, right? What can you experience or notice? And there are a couple of ways of doing this. You can do it from the, like, from the top down, um, or you can do it quite randomly. So, um, and that sometimes is very effective. So going from the left elbow to the right ankle, um, to the shoulder or the back of the neck, um, uh, it wakens up your awareness of the body in a very interesting way. So I found that quite useful. Um, you're just getting snapshots of sensation. Uh, so sometimes Joko would say, if you came in and you, you, know, you had a lot of ideas about what you wanted to talk to her about, she'd say, how does your forehead feel? My forehead? My forehead has feelings? <laughs> it was a big surprise to me. <laughs> so, so those are... Uh, some scanning meditations. There's also one that is uh, common in the ancient, ancient literature uh, uh, in Buddhism, which is uh, sometimes called the golden cream, or might, you might think of it as a stream of light scan. So in the golden cream scan, you imagine you have like an egg on the top of your head that cracks open and this golden cream comes out and pours right down the body. And you feel this warm sensation uh, just 
um, as this cream pours over your body. And the same if you do this with a stream of light, a golden light. Um, and this is often used also in visualizations when people have some illness or um, I know they used it in Symington, uh, as Flint told me, um, for cancer patients. And it had um, really quite remarkable qualities, but you're just imagining a clear light slowly, slowly illuminating your body from the top to the bottom and, and just filling it as it goes uh, with, this, with this light inside and outside on the surface and deep inside, uh, just from your head to your toes. And it's just sort of easing and illuminating everything in its path. Both of those techniques, um, the golden cream or the stream of light techniques tend to be relaxation techniques. They do tend to um, uh, begin to relax the body. Then there are some uh, body-centered meditations that are based on visualization. Um, I sometimes um, will recommend uh, ocean meditation. So this is visualizing yourself very comfortable and at ease, slowly drifting deeper and deeper into the ocean. And you're discovering you can easily breathe there. Um, and then you, um, you're just relaxing as you settle down to rest on the ocean floor and far, far above you, the mind waves are sparkling in the sun's sunlight. So you don't have to uh, be troubled by them, but they're still there. They're just uh, way up on the surface. That's an ocean meditation. Um, I have uh, found really useful a meditation I think of as boat on a lake. Um, so you're, imagine, you're visualizing yourself sitting upright in a small rowboat in the middle of a still lake at daybreak. So the air is fresh and you're completely relaxed and awake. The boat gently rocks with your breathing. All this is in the um, handout, so you don't need to worry about taking notes. And then there's a meditation that comes from um, your body knows the answer where you visualize yourself sitting in a, in a cool forest and the light is sort of filtering down through the leaves of the trees. And then you catch a movement and you realize there's a doe and a fawn nearby watching you. So you want to invite them closer as you sit completely still and fully attending. So this is this calm abiding. And uh, what we're inviting are the parts of ourselves that are shy to show themselves like a doe and a fawn. It's just this open, spacious, still um, receptivity. Uh, and there's a basic whole body awareness, which is simply sitting in mindfulness of the body as a whole, uh, just not trying to focus on anything, just being a body, just sitting, a body sitting. You may, um, in sitting, identify a part that needs attention. It might be a part that's in, that's in pain or a part that's contracted. Um, uh, if you're ill or in pain or tension, um, it's resting in compassionate awareness of the body and asking if this sensation had words, what would it say? And you want to listen, don't make assumptions about what it would say. Um, you may not know until you really attend and listen. If this, if this stiffness in my shoulder had words, what would it say? You're trying to do too much. 
or whatever, you know. Um, so, uh, and then there's basic description. So sometimes if I am experiencing pain in a knee or pain in my back when I'm sitting, I'll focus on how would I describe this sensation in the body? So to be curious, um, if someone else were asking you, uh, where is it located and what are its boundaries? How big is it? Is it just the knee? Is it the whole leg? Um, and what are its qualities? Heat, cold, contraction, itchiness, and so on, like knives. And how is it changing as you observe it since everything is always already changing? So those are some body scan and um, focuses uh, for meditation on the body, but with relationality, it's a little bit different. So <clears throat> this brings us into awareness of others. So pay attention simply to the physical embodiment of another. Facial expressions, gestures, body language, posture, movement. Uh, one way to do this, um, uh, if you watch TV, is to turn off the sound and just watch how people are moving, what their facial expressions are, what gestures they're making. See if you can understand something from watching. Um, uh, so you can practice this anywhere that you can observe others. You can be in an airport or wherever. Um, what do you, and then the next level of this particular practice is, what do you sense you would be feeling if you had that expression, body language, posture, or way of moving? So as you inhabit that, what would you be feeling? And this also helps foster um, empathic connection. So but just, you're not trying to feel, you know, kindly towards the person or anything, but what would it mean, you know? So I would be with Ron Kurtz and he'd look at somebody, you know, who's going off to the, get a, uh, you know, a snack at the break table. And he'd say, that person has had trauma. And he could tell from just the way they held their body, just the way they carried themselves. And you probably will be able to um, cultivate that capacity too, to understand just by absorbing what the posture or gesture or expression is, you'll have a, uh, an ability to sense. What would, what would you be feeling if you had that expression? So then in everyday living, as you go about your daily life, um, notice where your body is in space and how it's organizing itself, sitting, standing, walking, lying down. You can just return, you know, you'll be in the middle of working on some project or something, just where are my hands right now? Um, are you upright? Is the body at ease? How is your breathing? Just check in with your body. Um, it doesn't have to be a lengthy um, process. You can just check in, check in, how's the body? So moving beyond um, this kind of uh, embodied practice to more activity, um, what we're doing in our whole practice is we're implementing meditation practices that take us closer and closer to everyday life. So uh, the next step uh, from sitting meditation is some kind of movement. And in formal Zen practice, we, uh, we move from sitting meditation into kinhin, which is formal walking meditation. And if you want to practice kinhin, uh, whether you're alone or with other people, you begin by making a fist of your left hand Put, uh, put the thumb inside and you're gonna press it gently to where your solar plexus is in the body. And then you're gonna place your right hand on top of this hand, of this fist. And this hand position is called shashu. 
becoming mindful of your feet, you begin slow kinhin by lifting the left foot and placing it one half step ahead. As I said, this is formal walking meditation. And you repeat with the right foot. In motion, you're maintaining the awareness of the sensations of walking. It's kind of interesting that we're able to maintain these great big human bodies on a tiny little array of twigs, you know, at the bottom, uh, our tiny little foot bones. <clears throat> so um, you're gonna synchronize your steps with your breathing in slow kinhin, breathe in as you lift the foot, uh, breathe out as you place it. And you're placing it mindfully. For faster kinhin, which we do both slow and fast kinhin at Apamata, um, you simply increase the length of your stride a bit and bring more aliveness and energy to your walking, but you're staying mindful. And one of the things to be most mindful of is what's happening in the transitions, the transition from sitting to standing to walking, the transition from slow kinhin to fast kinhin, the transition back to standing and sitting. So another form of uh, walking meditation is outdoor walking meditation. Um, at the Chan Center that we used to do intensives in on Lotus Lake, that was their sole practice was outdoor walking meditation. In that case, you're going to walk at a normal pace. This isn't um, uh, quite so structured in terms of your physical um, uh, organization. You're going to just let your arms be natural at your side. Um, and just be mindful of your feet and your upright body and the sensations of the body. It's easy to become captivated by the trees, the birds, you know, when you're outdoors. And when you're doing um, um, mindfulness of the body outdoors, which all, all, almost all of the practice that the Buddha's disciples did was outdoors. So you're practicing with another level of distraction, which is all, all of the things that happen in outdoors. So, um, so that's just bringing mindfulness to walking, but there's also a form of structured walking meditation uh, where you pick a spot some distance from you, uh, and it depends a little bit on where you are, what that distance is, uh, but you're going to walk, um, uh, um, it's just, you're just gonna begin mindful walking toward that spot. And when you reach it, you're gonna mindfully turn and walk back to the original starting point. And then you just repeat that. Um, you'll repeat it for the whole meditation period. If you go to a Vipassana retreat, they'll have uh, a sitting period and then it's followed by a walking period that's 45 minutes long. Um, so it's an excellent method when you're too agitated to sit or too anxious to sit um, and you feel like you're gonna jump out of your skin. This, is a, this structured walking is a very good meditation practice. And then there's relational walking meditation. Uh, when you're in a formal setting, such as a zendo, you'll be walking with others. Um, but you can also practice this with another person or a group. While walking in kinhin or, or informally, pay mindful attention to how your bodies are moving in space. In the zendo, notice how you're moving in relation to others. And be aware of kinhin as one being, one organism, all of its parts moving in harmony. So you notice the spacing and whether you're equally distant from others. And similarly, notice when walking with others, just where each person is located in space and the quality of the movement, relaxed or rushed, crowded or spacious, harmonious or awkward. So <clears throat> in the Zendo, my, my little trick 
for discovering how to maintain uh, even spacing is I look at the two people in front of me. So we're in a line. So there'll be, so there's three of us and I'm trying to keep the middle person in the middle. If I'm going too fast, I'll be closer to the middle person than the middle person is to the front person, right? If I'm going too slow, there'll be a gap between me and the middle person that's bigger than the gap between the middle person and the front person. So, um, so it's a little, it's almost like a little video game, right? You're trying to keep the person in the middle. <laughs> if they speed up, you have to speed up a little. So, um, so also you can use this practice while observing others. So when you're in a situation when you can observe others walking, what do you notice? Um, pay really close attention to bodily movement, gesture, and how people organize themselves in space in relation to others. There are cultural differences in this. So you might notice this if you travel, that in some places people really want to be much closer together, even holding hands, and in other places much farther apart, uh, more distant. Um, and the pace is quite different in New York compared to San Diego. Um, as you can imagine, um, or if someone's walking in the countryside, uh, it's quite different from someone walking in the city. So, and also the guardedness. So in the city, you'll see that people are quite guarded um, and they don't look at other people. And in small towns in the country, people are, you know, sort of curiously looking at each other and they're at ease. They don't, they don't feel the need to be quite so, um, so guarded. So these are all parts of walking meditation that are fun to explore. And the nice thing about walking meditation is you can do it anywhere, um, wherever you are. If you're, you know, visiting a foreign city or um, you're, uh, you're, you know, stuck in a hotel room, you can do still do walking meditation. So always uh, we complete uh, any kind of body-centered meditation with appreciation for the support of the body in enabling this very precious life we're in. So um, it's very helpful to establish and practice embodied forms of meditation in, in a sitting meditation um, that's, um, that's in a place that's with relatively few distractions and where you can be still. But ultimately, you can practice them anywhere in stressful situations, when your mind is racing, when you're facing some difficulty, when you're doing the dishes, or when you're taking on some challenge that you're worried about. Um, returning awareness to the body and its sensations has a grounding and calming effect. If nothing else, just put 30% of your awareness in your feet in a situation in which you find yourself stressed out. Um, so, okay, uh, Jay. Yeah, um, <laughs> you know, uh, you keep um, bringing up the thing with distractions. And um, again, I, I remember watching uh, Kung Fu Panda with the kids and using a moment where, you know, the panda was initially meditating and he's like, just be quiet, everybody, because he was trying to meditate. And then when he really mastered that meditation, regardless of the noise that's going outside, you know, um, he meditated. And so for me personally, I, I never use the word distraction with the kids, mm. you know, and I tell them that you are the eye in the storm, you know, that's the most powerful part, the most peaceful part. And mm -hmm. you can find that in anything that's going on around you. It's not distraction because I, I don't want them to put power in that, right? I, so I never uh, see distraction. 
Uh-huh. And, you know, I'm, I'm like, <laughs> so I tell them as life happens around you, you can always find your peace, right? That's so that's a great resource to give them. Yes. Uh-huh. Yeah. And that's I always funny. use that um, Kung Fu Panda uh, clip <laughs> with them. So <laughs> that's very helpful. Yeah. Yeah. And especially for kids, um, they're, they're just dealing with so much now. It's really a challenge, I think. I see what um, kids growing up now, what they have to deal with and what they have to contend with. So uh, hopefully this is helpful and the handout should be um, helpful about this. Um, I know that um, that's a lot of material and the, my intention isn't really to overwhelm you, but to give you, as I said, a really big toolbox. Uh, so you can practice with any of these embodied practices and see what you discover, what's, um, what's interesting for you about under what circumstances would you practice, you know, walking meditation and what circumstances would you practice, um, you know, visualizing in a scan or something like that. So, uh, so as you play with these, you'll get a sense of, oh, you know, when you're in your own meditation practice, I'm extremely stressed out. I think what I need to do is just focus on the breath. It's just so simple. Um, and that way you have tools. And of course, a lot of our Buddhist practice is the discovery of skillful means for realizing our intentions and our aspirations. So, uh, so that's, that's my hope for this series of courses. Um, and I wanted to leave a, enough time for people to ask questions if they have questions or um, reflections if they have reflections um, about, about this. I'll, so much has been written about these practices that you won't have any trouble uh, finding more information if that's what you're looking for. Lauren? I'm just curious um, to hear you talk about um, Shikantaza. And I, I heard what you said, you know, for example, we might use one of these exercises at the beginning of an intensive as an on-ramp. Or, or, you know, we might try something for five minutes at the beginning of our, our meditation session. Um, I just was, I would like to hear you just talk a little bit more about that. You're really jumping ahead there. Oh, um, sorry. <laughs> the last class is really about this, uh, this chicken tassa practice. Yeah, so we're gonna go through a kind of a sequence where, so focuses on the body, um, focuses on perceptions and emotion thoughts, um, and right through then to um, uh, investigation, which is, a, uh, I, I don't think most people in Zen understand as a practice, um, investigation of the Dharma, so the things that the Buddha actually taught. Um, and then we'll, the, um, we'll end with this uh, open awareness practice. Yeah. I guess, um, I guess more what I was asking um, was um, sort of, how might it all fit together um, in, term, in practical terms? Yeah, in practical terms. So one of the great things about these practices as you settle down um, in them, uh, you let go of them. And sometimes we'll say something, you know, not entirely uh, facetiously, like all meditation techniques result in failure. And that failure is important uh, because we uh, approach practice from an instrumentalist perspective. What do I have to do to get X or what, you know? Um, so 
there's a sense of there's something I have to do um, or something I have to find or something I have to attain. Um, and that ultimately has to be worn out. That, uh, that approach to meditation ultimately has to be worn. So we give people techniques knowing that they're gonna come back and say, well, I tried that technique, but I just failed at it, you know? And we know this is gonna happen. Um, and, but, but they still have their functions and their uses. And I'll still recommend them for particular purposes. Right, okay. But ultimately they lead to a kind of surrender and that surrender is what drops you into shikantaza or open bare awareness. It's sort of like I give up, right? But we have to get to that point where we're, uh, we're actually willing to give up because otherwise we keep clinging to our strategies and, and we can say, my strategy is to give up, <laughs> right? Yeah. <laughs> but, but I think we have to wear down over time, especially, and because we don't have a brutal practice. So uh, we don't have a practice where we're trying to force people into certain states of mind or consciousness. We have a practice in which we allow, allow, allow these things to resolve themselves and they will, you know, our anxiety will resolve itself, you know, it's, um, but we, um, we have these tools which can assist us and support us. And so um, it's kind of like you have tools if you're going to be an artist, right? And it's really important to know how those tools work so that when you start uh, really expressing yourself, the tools are ready to hand and kind of intuitive. Right? And you know you need this kind of brush or you know you need this color on your palette. Um, but to do that, there's a lot of uh, dismantling that has to happen of our notions about what, what it really means to make art, right? It's so fluency. What? It's a kind of fluency. It's a kind of fluency, exactly, exactly. So we're building that capacity. Um, and even no matter how, you know, how open and spacious we become. There are going to be times when we get triggered. There are gonna be times when our conditioning throws itself right back up. And then it can be useful to have an embodied practice or a breath practice uh, to return to that spaciousness. Okay. Yeah, that's, that's a wonderful question. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Anybody else? I think maybe is wanting to ask a question. Oh, okay. Yeah, I didn't know how to raise my hand. Can you hear me? Pardon me? Can you hear me? Yes, Mehdi. You've muted again, there you are. Okay, are you, can you hear me? Yes, we can hear you. Yeah, I, I, I've been really enjoying this conversation and the practice. Uh, I, I do, became, I became more aware of my breathing and uh, just being able to pay attention to the breathing and its uh, importance. Uh, one experience, personal experience, sometimes I do have a right lung lesion and you know, issue there that I can't feel it. And sometimes even when I am laying down, you know, in the bed and trying to sleep, I can feel that 
spot in the right lung. And a little bit of an anxiety comes up and then I just let it be and breathe in calm and it just calms down. It is so interesting that I know exactly where it is, what it is and what I'm doing. So I think overall I'm becoming more, uh, you know, uh, a believer in the body and then the felt sense. Yes. I think I'm just getting the concept of the felt sense mm-hmm. more and more. I mean, this is, to me, it's a thankful thank to you and all yeah. of that, you know, experience and, you know. Well, you have a um, background as an academic as I do, and we end up kind of being balloon heads, you know, just not so much even aware that we have a body, much less attuned to it. Uh, so, <clears throat> so I think this is so important um, that we reconnect our relationship with our body. You know, um, there's one other body-centered practice I forgot to mention, but I I really like a lot, which is we're in the middle of a, some big thing. You know, um, uh, let's say um, okay, I'll give a recent example. I'm uh, refinancing my house, so there's all these details, paperwork, documents. It's in my head all the time, right? So I can sit with the felt sense that's, that is characterized as all that about the house. So uh, whatever's happening are all that about my son. Um, I don't have to figure it out. I don't have to sort it out. It's a tangle. Um, I just sit with it and feel it in my body. Um, and that is a very useful practice. Um, all that about whatever. All that about Dave, you know, um, and it's, there's something settling about it because I'm not trying to figure it out and I'm not trying to fix it. I'm just sitting with it. It's a big tangle. Yeah. Very helpful. Okay. Kim. You muted Kim. Unmute. (laughs) There we go. I remember uh, many years ago when my art teacher said, you know, talked about the toolbox and how useful that was. But there's also, it can lead us to being not very authentic in our reaction. So someone says something to you, like let's say they insult you and you have it in your toolbox that you're going to smile. So that, that or you're going to take it or you're going to say that's, that's good advice, you know, whatever it is you're not in the moment, you've, you've gone back to this other place. So, and in doing art too. Well, it, it's, not it, about, it's not about a concept. It's about embodiment. That's why the Buddha started with the breath, right? There, you, you can't, um, by returning to the breath, be inauthentic. Right? With that, with that particular, well, you're, you're back in present moment experience, this in But breath. it seems like it can be habit also, just you're just doing it by habit. Well, then and, you're not. And then you're not awake. Then you're not doing it with sati, right? You're yeah, not with that so I guess that's the added, the added part is not just the, it's, these aren't habits, but they're. It's not something to do by rote, you know. You know, at some point, photographers realize that they're just doing rectangles because they've always done rectangles. 
Yeah. And that, that's not that's not the shape of a photo as a, as the image comes out of the lens. Right. But um, so being awake and having the toolbox seems to be yes. the challenge. Right. And um, and this quality of sati, which is bright, lucid awakeness and recalling. It's recalling yourself into this present moment, recalling, you know, um, what your embodiment is. Uh, and I, I think the Buddha was brilliant in starting with these embodied practices that are quite concrete, um, not just jumping to states of consciousness, for example. We need to begin with the body that we're inhabiting and be grateful to this body that's supporting us and carrying us in our life. Yeah. It's wonderful. Well, now we're at the end of our time and I want to honor our time commitments, but thank you so much for joining us. And um, I so appreciate the questions. They're wonderful and they really do open things up and uh, I will hope to see you next time. So have a wonderful weekend. Thank you. Thank you, Peg.